Support for the Woj Pod comes from Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your very own professional website, choose a template you love, and customize it by adding your own text, images, and videos. With hundreds of intuitive design features, you can tell your story exactly the way you want. Want even more for your website? You can easily start a blog, launch an online store, or create an event. Share everything in a click on social media and drive even more traffic to your site with SEO tools to get found on Google. Wix has all the tools you need to create the exact website you want. You can even create a beautiful website while listening to this very podcast. Over 140 million people choose Wix to create their website, so create yours today. Get started now by going to Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com slash Woj, W-O-J, to get 10% off. Hey, everyone. Welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod here in our Manhattan studio with one of the rising young guards in all of the NBA, the Brooklyn Nets' Karis LeVert, fresh off his first trip to the NBA playoffs. Let's get right to our conversation with Karis. Welcome into our New York studios with Nets guard Karis LeVert, fresh off his first trip to the playoffs and a net player who was the very best player on the Nets at the beginning of the season before an injury. And then by the end of the season, by the time the playoffs came back, the best player again in the postseason. Karis, how are you? I'm feeling good. Appreciate that introduction right there. Well, it's uh, well-deserved. What was – it was a five-game series with the Sixers, which you look back and you go, you know, team gets handled in five games. But it didn't feel that way, right? Did it feel that way to you guys? It felt like it was a fight that maybe maybe the Sixers weren't expecting or the league – didn't know it was coming from you, but it was as much as a team can make a statement in five games. I thought the Nets did that. Yeah, I feel that way. Um, honestly, we uh, we had our end of the season meetings the other day, and I kind of met with Coach um, Kenny. We kind of had the same thoughts. We were like, we kind of put the league on notice, but at the same time, we're a little disappointed with you know how the series ended. Uh, we wanted to you know end on a stronger note, whether that was you know losing in five, losing in six, winning in seven. Uh, regardless of what that was, we didn't want to lose by thirty in our last game. Um, we felt like we could have had a better showing. But, you know, all in all, it was a great year. Uh, we surprised a lot of people. Um, we got a lot more work to do this offseason. When people tell you playoffs are different, do you feel like you know what they're talking about now? Definitely. You know, it's it's different than um, the regular season because, you know, you're playing a different opponent every night. Teams may not be as locked in every single possession. But in the playoffs, you're playing the same team consecutive games everybody's scratching and clawing for a win. So it's it's definitely different. You know, the stakes are higher. Every game's on TV. Um, I think we had one nationally televised game outside of the playoffs this year. So it, it was a different experience for everybody on our team. How about the gamesmanship in the playoffs? Jared Dudley was pissing everybody off, getting under guy's skin. like, And he embraces that role. And in the playoffs, you can really find like pressure points was that like a new element to watching some veteran guys go in and sort of mix it up a little bit and create some of that, kind of some of the other stuff that went on in your series? Absolutely. I think um, in a series you kind of you kind of find guys on another team where it's like, I really don't like this guy. <laughs> and it's like you may watch him during the regular season and love his game and have a ton of respect for him, but then you get him in the, in the postseason, you play him five times in a row. It's like, 
I'm tired. Like, I don't want to see this guy anymore. Um, so I think we had some of that for sure, and it was healthy for our team. Um, and I think it will definitely fuel us going into the offseason. You have a team of nice guys, generally. It's a good group of guys, and I want to say there's not – it's a competitive group. But there was, I think, like you just said, like I, I sensed even from the two organizations there was – there came out of there a little bit of a rivalry and you guys will get better and we'll see what they look like, what their roster looks like next year, see what your roster looks like. But between the stuff with Sean Marks and the refs and the flagrant fouls from Joel Embiid onto Jarrett, there was, there was a different feeling it seemed between the two organizations walking into that thing and then maybe walking out. For sure. We're definitely a group of guys that kind of overlooked. A lot of guys have chips on their shoulders. So we feel like, you know, we're kind of under-respected, kind of overlooked, and things like that. So every time we step on the court, uh, we're trying to gain respect, uh, earn respect, and just go out there and compete. We're, we're a really competitive group, like you said. Hey, Karis, when you talk about people look at like what having a chip on your shoulder means, and I think it's different with you. You don't – there's a lot of guys who would have your background and say weren't heavily recruited. You know, you have the injuries in college, but you don't – seems like with you, you don't throw it back at people the way some guys might. That, like, I think even with, I think Kenny Atkinson, Zach Lowe did a great piece on you earlier this year, and Kenny Atkinson said in there, I think when you hit your first game winner this year and you went and saw Kenny after, you sort of apologized for one you had missed earlier, right? Like, your nature's different. Yeah, I just feel like I'm a I'm a really humble guy. You know, I, I feel like I was brought up that way. I know that everything can be taken away at the end of the day. So it's all about how you carry yourself. It's all about how you, you know, how you treat other people um, and things like that. So I just try to be the best, you know, the best person I can and let the chips fall where they may. You know, I can't really control being overlooked or anything like that. I just try to make the most of every opportunity I have now. Your high school recruitment to me was really interesting. You, you signed with Ohio U out of, you grew up in Columbus, Ohio, and John Gross was at Ohio U, which is Mid-America Conference, um, which is a very good league. Uh, but it's not the Big Ten, right? It's not the Big 12. And so Gross gets the Illinois job. And usually what happens is a guy has, he gets like a steal. You got Karis Levert, really good player from Columbus, that probably he thinks he stole from the Big Ten to go to Ohio U. The best players in the MAC are always guys who probably could have played in the Big Ten, but they late bloomers, whatever it was. So Gross goes to take Illinois, which is not the best job in the Big Ten, and they didn't have a lot of talent. And he ended up getting fired a few years later. So did you expect him to call and say, hey, Karis, like, you coming with me? Is that, is that like how we're doing this? I honestly didn't know he was going to get the job, to be honest with you. So in high school, my team had won the state championship late March. Um, and I think Ohio U had just beat um, Michigan. Very ironically, they just beat Michigan in the tournament. So I was hearing some rumors like, yo, Coach Gross may take the job at uh, Illinois, you know, he may not be there next year, so just be ready for it. I was actually watching ESPN by myself, just on the couch, and it, it came across the bottom, like, John Gross takes Illinois job. And I'm like, what? Because <laughs> I hadn't talked to him. We won the, we won the championship. He, I didn't talk to him after that. I hadn't talked to him for a couple weeks. So I called my college coach, or my high school coach. I'm like, yo, what's going on? He's like, yeah, man, um, yeah, I haven't talked to him either. We'll figure something out. To this day... To this day, I still he still hasn't explained what happened to that. So I like I really don't know. I, obviously, we think that 
you know, he thought I wasn't good enough to go to that level. Yeah. But he, he still hasn't explained it. And it's no bad blood between us. Obviously, I, went, I ended up going to Michigan. He, he was at Illinois, so I played against him for four years. Um, it was no bad blood. You know, he always asked about my family and stuff like that, but he never really explained what happened did, with that did situation. He, did he call it? Did he, like, after you saw it on TV, did he call to explain, hey, I'm leaving? I never I, – when never I tell you I again? never heard from him about that situation ever again. I thought you meant he didn't explain it. You're saying he didn't call. No, I, he wow. didn't, I didn't talk to him. I didn't wow. talk to him. The, the next time I talked to him was when we played them. When Michigan played Illinois my freshman year, that's the next time I huh. talked to him. Wow, wow. So I ended up, you know, taking other other, other visits. I was going to go to – it was between Dayton and Michigan, actually. And I went to Dayton. I loved the school. And then, you know, me and my high school coach and my mom, we ended up going to Michigan right after that. And uh, it was a total – it was totally different. I loved Dayton, but Michigan was – it was another level. Yeah. And that's what's unique about John Beeline, your college coach there. And I've – I got to know him when he was at Canisius. Mm-hmm. What's unique about him is he's never cared about like the recruiting list, who's ranked high. There's certain coaches, they just recruit the top 30, 40, regardless of fit, because they feel like if I get guys in that, people say I had a good class. But I think John sees players and sees who can play for him, and he doesn't care where the rankings have you. And I guess it doesn't surprise me that at that point, John, you went in, and essentially when you, you did a visit and you kind of did a workout, which almost – is a little bit of a tryout, right? Mm-hmm. Like they want to see you against their guys. Right. Did you feel like you were trying out a little bit when you went up to Michigan, like you had to sell them? So here's what's, here's what's funny. So when I went to a visit to Purdue, that's actually what happened. I had like a workout slash one-on-one against one of their players, and that felt like a tryout, and I hated it. Like I did not like that at all. Then I went to Michigan, and it was the exact opposite. Like I didn't have any workout. They actually had like film of me. And then they had film of, like, their guys and how I could fit into the system. You know, I got to hang out with some of their guys. I obviously knew Trey Burke mm-hmm. um, because we we're both from Columbus. Columbus. So it was it was totally different. So it felt like they wanted me there, you know what I mean? And it was crazy because they, they had only been recruiting me for about a week or two. And it felt like I'd known them for months, years. So it was it was an immediate connection. What's it like for Columbus kids who go to Michigan? Like when you grow up in the shadow of Ohio State, like when you walk back – in the high school cafeteria, mm-hmm. is it like, what are you doing? For me, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. I don't think it was like that for Trey either because um, when we were coming up, Ohio State didn't really recruit Columbus, the Columbus area for basketball. They got Jared Sullinger, who was a couple years before us, and then they got Sean Tate, who was a couple years after us. But, like, they didn't uh, – Trey was Mr. Basketball, and they didn't mm-hmm. offer him. I, mean, I was a little different because I was a late bloomer. But, um, like I said, Trey was Mr. Basketball. They didn't offer him. So it was like – yeah, I'm going to Michigan, um, and everybody supported that. Everybody supported that decision. So it was it was it was a cool experience for me, for sure. When you look back now, is there an advantage for where you are in your career, 24 years old, where you are in the NBA? Was there an advantage to not been recruited by everybody, a star on the AAU circuit since you were in the seventh or eighth grade? That the way you found your way serves you pretty well right now. I think so, absolutely. I wasn't handed anything, you know, from high school to college. You know, in college, my first, I think, three, four games, I thought I was going to redshirt. I didn't play at all. Coach Beeline was honest with me from the time he talked to me. The first time on the phone was like, we got guys who are better than you right now, and we think you're going to redshirt the first year. That's not to say you're not going to be a great player, but we don't think you're good enough right now to play. And that, I feel like that only made me a lot more hungry, you know, to to prove, to prove wrong um, and to go out there and just hoop. 
Um, but I feel like, you know, being being under recruited kind of gives you that chip on your shoulder, kind of gives you that mentality that, you know, you can go out there and nobody's really looking at you. Nobody's really believing in you. Um, you can kind of shock the world type of thing. Yeah. And listen, there's exceptions to this. And I think you play with a couple. There are exceptions to this around the league. But most guys who, especially who are at your level of player in the NBA, have never been told you're not good enough. Right. Like mm. at least not at the time they're in college, maybe at a young age before their body developed or something. Right. But being told you're not good enough. What does that do for you as a player? motivates you motivates you especially when you feel like you are good enough and you know that you know in your heart you're good enough and you know you've always been good enough but uh that that definitely motivated me um and I thanked him for that I thanked him for that you know I can't thank him enough for that because I feel like for sure that made me the the player I am you know today where did you learn to be coached because I think if you go to Michigan you play for John Beeline you want to be coached and you're going to get coached right and where in your life did you feel like that came from your your dad yeah, so my dad was my coach when I was young, um, probably from a really young age. I can't remember when he first started coaching me. Um, and obviously, like any other dad, he coaches he coached me extremely hard. So I had to learn how to take coaching from a very young age. And then when I went to high school, probably the toughest coach I've ever had to this day, uh, Jerry Francis, he actually played at Ohio State. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, he's <laughs> he was the, probably the toughest coach I've ever had in my life. And he... Every single day was something different. Like he held me accountable for every single thing, um, and that that definitely you know prepared me for the next level. What does that look like in high school when you're getting held accountable every day by Jerry Francis, who's a pretty imposing? He's probably <laughs> looking you in the eye, right? Yeah. He's I remember he's like a six five, six five, taller than me at the yeah. time. What does that look like in high school for you when it means my coach is on me? Um, so my freshman and sophomore year in high school, I was on the JV team. And he wasn't the coach. He came there my junior year. So when he came there, I hadn't even played varsity yet. And he was already on me from the time he got there. And it was like he kind of gave me control of the team. But at the same time, I had a lot of responsibilities. You know, I had to make sure when you're young in high school, everybody's clowning around and things like that. So if people are laughing in practice, it's on me. It's not on them to stop laughing. He, I remember he didn't start me for a game because it was guys laughing in practice and he kind of took it out on me. And, you know, he was, he was like that. He was like that. I would meet, I would meet with him in his office. He had cursed me out after every practice. But like I said, that, that definitely, that made me a lot tougher for sure. When you look back at it and maybe the conversations even you were having then, was there a sense he saw something in you that maybe you, you weren't maybe necessarily even seeing in yourself yet? I think so. I think so. He knew the type of player I was, but I think he needed me to be a better leader for the team. And he he played at that level, so he knew what it took, you know, to be to be successful at the next level. And I didn't know because I hadn't been there yet. So I think he just wanted to instill that in me and to get that out of me. Stop what you're doing and look down at your left wrist. Because our friends at Movement Watches have exactly what you're missing. Movement has you covered with tons of quality, clean, and all-around good-looking watches and accessories that you can actually afford and order right from your couch. Do your wrist and wallet a favor. Go check out their minimalist designs that you can have with no risk because they offer free shipping and returns with over 2 million watches sold worldwide Movement has solidified themselves as one of the fastest growing watch brands anywhere. I've been wearing their new Odyssey collection, and I really love how it's still super clean and minimal, but also has a unique hexagonal shape. I get tons of compliments on it. 
They also have a wide assortment of sunglasses and offer interchangeable watch straps so you never run out of options for a new look. It also makes for a perfect gift for that hard-to-shop friend or relative. Plus, movement watches start at just $95, so you're guaranteed to find something you love that won't break your bank. So don't wait. Get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to movement.com slash Woj. See why movement keeps growing. Go to mvmt.com slash Woj, W-O-J, and join the movement. Karis, you mentioned your dad, and your dad, Daryl, said, was your coach, mm-hmm. and Easter weekend just passed, and you're a sophomore in high school. It's Easter Sunday. Your mom is out of town, I think, visiting your grandmother mm-hmm. in, in back in D.C. What happened that day? Um, so it was, like you said, Easter morning. I think Duke had just played uh, Butler the day before in the championship game. And uh, it was me and my brother and my dad um, at the house. Um, we woke up like any other Easter morning going to church. Uh, my brother woke me up, banging on my door, came in the room. He's like, yo, dad's downstairs. He's not moving. So I'm like, what? I'm half asleep. So we run downstairs, try to wake him up. He's obviously not moving. So I got to call 911, tell him to come over there. Probably five minutes after they got there, they tell us, you know, he passed away. Like you said, my mom wasn't there. She was in D.C. with her mom for Easter. It was just us. I was a sophomore. My brother was a freshman um, in high school. So that was probably the hardest The hardest moment right there was um, having to call everybody and yeah. tell them, like, what happened. So having to call his mom, his sisters, my mom, and nobody's answering the phone because it's Easter. Everybody's at church. So I'm, like, leaving voice messages. Hit me back when you get this. It's important. Um, but not really knowing what to say. Do I tell him over the voicemail? Do I text him? Like, I need to tell him, you know what I'm saying? But um, it, it was definitely tough. We had to go to the neighbor's house and just chill out till my mom got there. He was 46, 46 years, yeah. years old. Mm-hmm. How does it change when you're at that age and you're a sophomore and, and he, it's your dad, and he's also, like you said, he coached you. He was a friend. He was, you know, he was a lot for you, yeah. for like, for any son. What What happens at that age and how you start to have to mature see the world sort of accept 46 is really young, right? Yeah. I mean, when you're a sophomore in high school, it doesn't, but now you look and you go, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, come on, it's just really young, right? Like, and yeah. so what happens to a young man at that age when, when you go through that? I, at that point, I was the, I was the man of the house, you know, whether I wanted to be, whether I was ready or not, you know, I was the oldest in the house. It was me, my mom, my little brother. So I had, most of the responsibilities like I had to start driving you know to practice to school I didn't really know how to drive (laughs) my mom put a lot of responsibilities on me and I had to just grow into them you know it was obviously some growing pains at first you know I wasn't ready to you know do the things that I was supposed to do but I didn't really have a choice you know what I mean so that, that definitely forced me to grow up a lot quicker a lot more responsibility and just mature into you know who I am today was it harder to go away to school? You got a younger brother. Your mom's at home. Was it harder to pack up and leave in two years? No, nah, that wasn't that wasn't hard for me because I knew what my goal was. Mm-hmm. I knew I knew my my dreams was to um, 
to support them, mm-hmm. and that was the best way I could do that. And they understood that. They understood that. Um, and I think, you know, now they they definitely see that. But they were they were very supportive. They wanted me to go there. My mom wanted me to go to Michigan. She was a huge Michigan fan. She loved the Fab Five. So when uh, when they called, she was she was all in on that. Your mom was a teacher, principal. Mm-hmm. Her career was in education. Yeah. And you know, like I said, you had the idea of I want to be a pro. Most players, but. There was probably nobody at that age telling you, hey, Karis, you're on track. Like, you're going to be yeah. – you're, you're an NBA player, right? I mean, you signed with Ohio U, mm-hmm. produced, treating you like a walk-on in a, right. Right, in a practice, right? <laughs> yes. But are you still thinking at that age, I think that's a goal. I think that's a realistic goal for me. I always knew I wanted to. I just never – I never knew how I was going to do it. You know what I mean? Like, I knew I knew the end goal was me playing in the NBA, me playing professional basketball. Um but I knew I knew it was going to be tough. I didn't know how I was going to navigate through that. But that's the only goal I had. That's the only thing I could see my life doing, like going. I couldn't see me having any other job. So um, I knew I just had to make it work. You go to Michigan and you go from a player who John Beeline tells at the beginning, maybe we'll redshirt you. You got a lot of guys to beat out here. There were a lot of good wing players there. To all of a sudden, like, you get on the court and they say, okay, we can't keep this guy off the court. He's going to play. To two injuries that end two consecutive seasons for you, a uh, broken foot. The one thing that people said about you then and, and even when you went through the Nets this year is your ability to stay positive through a lot of adversity and, you know, the frustration of not just losing one season, but a second season at Michigan. How much did what you went through with your dad allow you to maybe have some perspective, some context of this is bad, this is frustrating, but it's not that. A lot. Yeah. That gave me a lot of perspective. At the end of the day, it's just basketball. So it's, you know, kids play this game. Obviously, it's, you know, how I make ends meet. It's how I support my family and things like that now. But at the end of the day, it's just a game. It can be taken away just quick, just like that. And like you said, I <laughs> I just went through something much, much worse than breaking a foot my foot will be okay in six months it's not that bad what the nets did to get you on you know right around draft night i remember they were trading they made the trade with thad young to the pacers to get the 20th pick they had you targeted the whole way they had done a ton of research on you Uh, i think your foot doctor shares you know the nets players he had done brooke lopez's foot similar did it feel like from your conversations with the nets like you didn't really have perspective on the NBA. You don't know how different all the teams are, but did it feel like when they draft you and, and you're going there that this is a place that's put a lot of thought into this injury, who I am, that I fit into something they're trying to do there, or are you just showing up, you know, for your draft press conference? Like, how much did you know? I didn't really know anything, especially about, honestly, about the Nets organization. I didn't really know. I couldn't, it was funny. I was in a car, probably, three months before the draft with a couple of my friends and somebody said out the blue, like, I bet you can't name seven players on the nets right now. And I was like, I really can't. Like, I, I don't know. So like when I got drafted, I didn't know a lot of players on the team. I, I really had no idea. So when I went in for my, uh, my draft interview and things like that, obviously new coach, new GM, you know, Sean Marks and, and uh, Kenny Atkinson, you know, that it was, it was great meeting those guys for the first time, but I really didn't know much about the team. I knew that, you know, they, they were they had stemmed from the Spurs, and I knew what kind of basketball they wanted to play. 
Um, and I felt like that fit my, my playing style. So I was, I was definitely excited that they were interested in me, but I didn't know how interested they were in me. That was, that was literally the only time I talked to them. And it was like a 15 minute conversation and that was it. And then draft day happened. What was the environment like when you walked into Brooklyn? You're at the beginning of their rebuild. You're at the beginning of them trying to figure out how to like go forward without having lottery picks, trying to find guys who maybe overlooked elsewhere or didn't fit somewhere else and, or like you, a player who, you know, had the injuries and maybe that scared some people off. What was the environment like at the beginning of that rebuild with Kenny Atkinson, Sean Marks and, and sort of what it felt like around there? It was a lot of energy. I remember. So when I first came in for my workout, I didn't work out, but my interview, first person I saw is Adam Harrington. And if you know Adam, he's energy. Yeah. 24 coach over exactly there. so that was the first person i saw that was my first impression of brooklyn and if you know adam he's full of energy 24 7 so i've always you know i've always remembered that and that's always the image i have for brooklyn it's just an you know inviting environment um very energetic uh about basketball about winning very competitive a team environment somewhere you want to be around the growth you had and i think you'd said this like the moves you made two years ago and the finishes at the basket, like you felt like you were getting everything in place except the ball wasn't going in, right? Mm-hmm. Like that you were getting to places you want to get on the court, the improvement you make as a wing player, you're shooting. And then all of a sudden, like this year, the season starts. Did it feel like something was coming together that all these pieces in your game were starting to like this is what I imagined it would be like, and this is like from the start of the season when you came out, you know, like a ball of fire to start. I think uh, this summer I prepared myself, you know, unlike any other summer. I sacrificed a lot of things, you know. I made sure I got my sleep every single night. My diet changed a whole bunch. I cut out a lot of things from my diet, and I watched a lot of film. I basically was just obsessed with the game, and I tried to just take that to a new level. And I feel like. Because I did that when I came into the season, even, you know, the workouts before the season started, I felt like I was a step ahead and I feel like I was a step faster. I was more focused. I was just more ready to go. I believe that carried into the season. What was a film you watched this summer of yourself, of other players you were trying to, things you were trying to emulate? Yeah, so I watched a lot of film of, you know, myself, but I watched a lot, a lot of other guys. Like, um, I watch, uh, you know, guys now. My position, you know, guys like C.J. McCollum, uh, Brad Bill, Victor Oladipo. I watch guys in the past. Allen Iverson is my favorite player. You know, I watch a lot of Dwayne Wade, 06 playoffs. I watch Penny Hardaway. And then I watch just like defensive clips. I watch Paul George. Um, I'm, I love basketball, so I watch anything really. Watching Penny Hardaway tape, and I think younger people now who didn't see him play, before the injuries – what was it like watching tape of Penny and, and his game? And I don't want to say it wasn't ahead of its time, but it was he would really fit into the way the game is played now, right? Absolutely. I would say he was a he. I don't know if you would say he's ahead of his time, but he was right there though, because his his game it looks kind of like guys play to get today, and not a lot of guys from back then their game doesn't look the same. His does, you know, first step quickness, the moves, spin moves, fancy passes finishing at the rim he had he had the full package and that that's definitely one of the guys i really watched you know normally when you're young you pay credit card companies a fortune in interest and fees because you don't have a credit history but when you get older and build up some credit that nonsense goes away right well 
Not really. Somehow, we all keep getting dinged with different kinds of fees and interest rates. But have you ever heard of a credit card company that actually helps you avoid paying those fees and unexpected interest charges? Well, I just did, and it's completely changed the way I think about credit cards. This new company is called Pedal. Pedal uses advanced technology and partners with WebBank member FDIC to provide access to a Visa credit card along with a simple modern mobile app experience designed to help you build credit. No credit history is required. You can qualify even if you've never had credit in the past. And when Pedal says no fees, they mean it. Even if you miss a payment, no fees whatsoever. They also let you automate your payments on their mobile app so you never miss one. As of today, their variable APRs range from 15.24% to 26.24%. If you want to build your credit the right way, check out the Pedal Credit Card. It's a smarter credit card for the modern world. Go to pedalcard.com slash woj today to find out more. That's pedal with a T, P-E-T-A-L, card.com slash woj. How did you get connected with Kevin Durant? What's it like working out with him in the summer? So I worked out with him two summers ago, and I guess this was like his first workout, you know, since the championship. Uh, I think he had taken like a month off or so. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. And I kid you not, he didn't miss one shot for like the first 30 minutes of the workout. And everything, it was all net. Like the ball did not touch the rim. And I was like, I was talking to him after the workout, and I'm like, you still been working out after the season? Like, you don't take any time off. And he was like, nah, this is my first workout. And I was like, wow. And then I was, you know, from that point on, I was like, I got to step my game up because that's where I want to be. If I take a month off, I'm not hitting the rim. I'm airballing every shot. I mean, it's amazing. He's a seven-foot-two guard. Yeah. Right? And it's just his – I think his focus and his attention to detail is, the, I think, the most impressive thing. You know, how he goes to the workout, just laser focus. When you say that his attention to detail, what's something he would do in the gym that you hadn't seen or that you said, that's something I'm going to try to emulate? Um, I think for him, when you see a guy like him who shoots the basketball so well, he's still so fascinated with how to be able to shoot better. And he still wants to be perfect. And I think that's something that, you know, I kind of took from him. He's not satisfied with you know, 50, 40, 90. He wants, to, he wants to be better than that. You know what I mean? He's, he's one of those guys who wants to be the absolute best. Yeah, and I think, too, like guys learn this as they get older in the league, and especially when you spend time around a Durant, a LeBron, a Kobe. I mean, you go through star players and, and guys a notch below that, that the work those guys put in to keep getting better and improving different elements of their game, it never ends, right? And that if those guys are putting in that time all year round, and I think it's like the rest of the league either figures out that's the only chance I have mm-hmm. if I want to be really good. Like, and and either you figure that out at 22, 23, 24 in this league or, or you don't, right? I think it defines what your career is going to be. And, and I always find that guys who've spent time around those kind of players, either as teammates or like you get an opportunity to go spend time, they figure that out. Yeah, for sure. I think that's the main thing he told me was like, keep the main thing, the main thing, keep basketball, the main thing, um, everything else will fall into place. If you just focus on this for, you know, the short span of time we have as basketball players, then everything else will fall into place. We're talking about the start of the season you had this year and you go to Minnesota on November 12th. You had had a run of game winners, big shots. 
think you're averaging over 18 a game. Your numbers, you just were on a run. And, like, you could see everyone, I mean, people were talking about you as an all-star, like Karis LeVert's the Nets all-star. They're going to, the team was playing well. And then, like, in that moment in Minnesota, you come down, you try to block a shot. And what do you remember after that? You know, I tried to make a, a rear, like, a, a shot block on the uh, a fast break that I probably shouldn't have went for. I probably couldn't have got it. Um but I came down, you know, on my ankle, and I thought it was a regular a regular ankle sprain. But I, it was a lot of pain, so I'm like, man, I'm probably done for the game. And I look down, and I'm like, yo, I think I'm done for, for the year because my, my ankle obviously was dislocated, but it was, it was like facing the wrong way. So I just – I tried not to look at it. Um, and then obviously everybody ran on the court. The trainers ran on the court. And Jock Vaughn was, you know, obviously just trying to keep me – keep me calm and you know just tell me that it's not over uh just stay positive but I mean in that moment I really wasn't trying to hear anything I was obviously very very angry and I didn't really understand and really understand why or what was happening does it almost feel like an out-of-body thing when because you can see I don't know what you observe or what you're looking around the rest of us if you're watching it you see the players you probably can't see that as well when you're laying there but, you know, guys are walking away because they don't want to look at it. And you mm. see how – I'm sure maybe – I don't even know if you've watched the tape since, have you? Yeah, I watched it. Yeah. That, you know, it's like what happened with Gordon Hayward. There's that thing of – or Paul George. That's what it felt like to people, right? That's what it looked like, I think, to everybody else, what they thought even when you got in the locker room. And in your mind, when you look down and see your foot sideways, you're thinking, that's what this is. This is like right. one of these – you're laying there going, I'm out for a year. Yeah. What does this mean for me? Yeah, I mean that those are that's what's going through your mind. Absolutely, absolutely. I had goals before the season, um, a lot of goals, and as soon as I got hurt, everything just ran through my mind. Like, man, it's over with. Like, I gotta do this thing all over again. You know, I gotta prepare all over again. I gotta do my rehab for a full year, and then obviously at that point, I was watching, you know, Gordon Hayward, and it was he was kind of struggling coming back a little bit. Obviously, he's doing great now, but. At that time, I'm like, man, it, it's going to be a while before I feel like myself again. But uh, obviously, you know, that wasn't the case. At what point that night did you have a sense this might not be as bad as we thought? It was uh, probably 30 minutes after that. We got in the um, the ambulance, and they put it back in place, and they were kind of looking at my leg, and they're like, we don't think you broke any bones. We think it, your ankle is just dislocated. I think once – you know, we we just put it back in place. I think once you do your rehab, you should be back this year. And I was I was under some pain medication, so I wasn't really understanding what they were <laughs> right. saying. But sure enough, we got another X-ray at the hospital. We got MRIs the next day when we got back to New York. And sure enough, you know, no broken bones, just an ankle dislocation, and you know, three months of rehab. When you came back, and, and it takes a little while, and you're trying to fit back in with the team, you're trying to get your timing, all the things back, did it take until the playoffs for you to really feel like this is what it was like early in the year when I was down? Was it all the way to the playoffs? Was it late in the regular season? Because certainly we saw it in the playoffs with you, that it looked like you were all the way back. I think it was Portland. I'm not sure the exact date, but we had a long, you know, a long West Coast road trip, and we had played L.A., the game before Portland, I believe, we played the Lakers. We just beat the Lakers. I had zero. That was the second time in like two, three weeks I was scoreless. I was scoreless first on my bobblehead night. <laughs> and then I was scoreless like two weeks later in um, in L.A. So 
I, t- I had a long talk with uh, Jock Vaughn the next day um, at breakfast, you know, just telling him everything, how I feel out there on the court, you know, mentally, physically, and everything like that. And I think I came out of that conversation just feeling a lot better. I don't know what it was, but like I said, that next game in Portland, I kind of just felt like myself again. We lost we lost that game in overtime, right. I believe. Um, that's when Nurkic got hurt. Oh, that's right. Um, but I think that was the game. And then after that, from that point on, I felt like myself. Do you get heckled on your bobblehead night, like when you haven't scored second quarter, third quarter? Is anyone yelling at you like, does anyone get into that or no? I didn't hear anything, no, but good. I'm sure they were because we <laughs> lost that game too. Right. So I'm sure that I'm sure I was. They were killing me. My friend, I actually have a, a lot of friends who are on Twitter and things like that. Yeah. So <laughs> I, somebody sent me a screenshot. I'm not really on Twitter right now, so somebody sent me a That's screenshot. A of exactly <laughs> somebody sent me a screenshot of like the popular page on Twitter and it, the headline was NBA player go scoreless on Bobblehead night <laughs> so we were laughing about that for a couple of days but I mean it, it happens man I I knew it was going to be tough coming back but um obviously you know it felt good to be back to back to myself at the end of the year what's it like to see your own bobblehead it was cool I didn't think it looked like me but it it, it was obviously cool to to have a bobblehead and does anyone's bobblehead look like them I don't know. Yeah. I know mine looked nothing like me. <laughs> Obviously, I was very blessed to have one, but it's cool for my little cousins and my mom and, and stuff like that. But I didn't think it looked like Yeah, just none of them do. Yeah. Maybe it's not like they're getting Rembrandt. Right. Like they do them, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, guys. We all know getting tickets online can be far too complicated. So many sites make it confusing. Plus, it's hard to know who to trust. That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. Everything SeatGeek does is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. By searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value, SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Look, before SeatGeek, I hated trying to get tickets online. It took way too much time, and the sites always made it more difficult than it had to be. But that all changed when I discovered SeatGeek. I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way i found to shop for tickets. And best of all, my listeners get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code WOJ today. That's promo code WOJ, W-O-J. For $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So be smart. Make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. Where your team is, and like you'll get asked a lot about free agency, and can you guys get a big star? And you hope you can, and you can change things really fast if you get one. But if you don't, and you just keep building with this group and adding to it, is that a pretty good option for the Nets? think that's a great option yeah um i feel like any option is a great option for us i think um you know sean and kenny have done a great job of building this team up and uh we trust them 100 percent with what they what what they're doing this offseason what they have to do what decisions they have to make but obviously if we don't get any free agents we're a young team you know a competitive team we built great you know great chemistry together we had a taste of the playoffs we had a taste of you know not really failure but we got beat. We got beat yeah. pretty bad in the playoffs, and I think that left a bad taste in our mouths. Um, and I feel like this this offseason is going to be a lot like last offseason where it's like we got something to prove. 
if the backcourt is D'Angelo Russell and Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie is going to play a big role, he's signed going forward. D'Angelo was an all-star this year. You can be one, and I think you were on your way to being one this year before the injury. It's still a really young group, right? Like that this group hasn't – I don't think any of you have played your best basketball in the NBA yet, right? And so, again, for like all the talk about let's get a superstar and they're going to try, like in your mind – the Nets could win. You guys were a six seed. Mm-hmm. You were a six seed with you missing three months. And is that how you guys are looking at this thing? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. We're very, uh, very excited going forward. You know, obviously, we don't really know too much of what the team's going to look like, um, and that's a little different. That's a little different for me, a little different for us. But we're extremely excited about the future. And like you said, none of us have played our best basketball yet. We our best our best years are ahead of us, and we have experience now. We're a young team with a lot a lot of experience, so I think that's going to bode well for the future. What's been interesting to me is with, like, the Nets fans, like, it always felt to me, especially when they first got to Brooklyn and people would be in the building, it was a lot of, okay, I want to go see what the new building looks like. There's a yeah. building here, right? Or, okay, who are they playing? Oh, I'm going to go see this star or that star. And that it feels like when you go to those games, I know you know it much better because you live it every night, that it's gone from that people grew an appreciation for like how you guys played, how you played together, the way your fun team to watch, you share the ball, you compete. And you could almost see it sort of organically building a fan base that wasn't there by how your group is played. Have you felt that there? Absolutely. So the first year in Brooklyn, um, my rookie year, I feel like the fans just came out just to see a show. They weren't necessarily Brooklyn fans. They were honestly most times they were fans, more fans of the other team than us. So they, when we would play, especially a star, and we still get it now, but when like LeBron would come or when D-Wade came a couple years ago, yeah. it was majority their fans. But I feel like that's definitely shifting. The culture is definitely shifting. We have an identity now as a team. And I think you said some of the, some of the values, you know, you know, resiliency, uh, togetherness, you know, hard work, you know, competitiveness. Um, and that's definitely something that, you know, we try to, we try to build around. And I feel like something that our fans can get behind. When people talk about Karis, like, there's this great culture there, and it's like a cliche people throw around in sports all the time. Every coach, I'm going to change the culture, we're going to build a culture. Like, like they all say it, no matter who takes over, whatever it is. But there is something that changed there, and if you're around there, you feel it, I think, and you see it, more importantly, like, you see it play out on the court. Like, you just Mm -hmm. see it in how, even when the team lost you and then lost eight in a row, the way those guys pull the season back, got it back on track. Like, to me, that's what culture is, right? Absolutely. What does it feel like to you, Dana? Like, when you hear that word, like, when you just go into the facility in a given day, do you feel it? Do you see it? Like, do you, do you know what they're talking about? It's been like that since day one, honestly. A lot of people didn't see it because we weren't we weren't very good a couple of years ago. But my rookie year, from, you know, from day one until today, we've had great guys on the team, and I think that's where it starts. We've had all, you know— Guys that want to win, competitive guys, guys that, you know, help the young guys out and kind of have pushed it the right way. And I feel like, you know, we're only going in the right direction. That's why we have so much, you know, trust in Sean and Kenny because we know they're going to bring those type of guys into the locker room. What will you do this summer, Karis? The same thing I did last summer. It's probably take, you know, a week or two off, you know, rest my body and get back to it. You know, I feel like I have a lot of things I want to work on this summer experienced a lot of you know success a lot of you know failure this year um and i feel like those 
playing in big games, definitely, you know, expose your weaknesses. Um, and I can't wait to attack those things. Will you stay in Brooklyn like you did last year? Yeah, I'll be here the majority of the summer for sure. That's kind of unique. Most guys, it's, well, I'm going to L.A., mm-hmm. I'm going to, like, you know, some Miami, Houston, different places. I think there's almost a point where, like, you're a certain stature of player, you don't have to stay around the facility, you go somewhere else, right? Yeah. Why do you stay there? It's easy for me. You know, obviously, um, last year it was a little different. I had a couple injuries, a couple nagging injuries I had to kind of stay around for, and they wanted to monitor a little bit. But for me, it's easy. You know, we got the coaches here giving us workouts. We have a great training facility. And it's New York in the summertime. Right. It's a beautiful, beautiful place to be. Uh, great city, great people. So, I mean, it's, it's easy for me. Great. Karis, thank you for coming in, doing this. Appreciate that. And, and on to a great summer, man. Yes, sir. Appreciate right. that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to our guest today, Brooklyn Nets guard Karis LeVert. Remember, you can listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod on Apple Podcasts, Radio.com, or wherever else you get your programs. And a big thank you to our sponsors this week, Pedal, Wix.com, SeatGeek, and Movement Watches. Be sure to support them the way they support us here at the Woj Pod. We'll catch you next time.